0: Good morning. good morning. So good to be with you this morning. If you have your Bibles, why don't we make our way to Philippians chapter four? As we go and make our way to Philippians chapter four, starting in verse 11, I'm going to take this opportunity to acknowledge my father, actually, Vince Vidlak, for teaching me how to teach the Bible. The time that he poured into me has been a blessing. Specifically, his work on the character and attributes of our God that he taught me. As I was studying this week, I thought to myself, I couldn't do this without what he's shown me and sewn into me. So thanks, Pops, for helping me this week. Amen? Amen? Philippians chapter 4, verse 11. Apostle Paul here speaking. He says, not that I speak in regard to need. For I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Amen. That's our verse that will kick off our discussion this evening. So will you pray with me? Will you join me in prayer? Father, we're so thankful for your people that you brought here and the families that they represent. I pray that uh, they would be blessed today, that you would uh, benefit them for being here around you, Father, and your word. I pray that your perfect word would have its perfect way in us today. I pray that your spirit would teach us something new today that would be beneficial so we could turn and use it to glorify you. So, in the matchless name of Jesus, amen. Amen. Hey, anybody here remember Mike Tyson? Yeah? Remember Iron Mike Tyson, the former heavyweight boxing champion of the world? Remember Iron Mike? Well, he has a, one of my favorite quotes. He's sitting there being interviewed by a sportscaster, and the sportscaster says, Iron Mike, are you at all concerned about your opponent's claim that he has a plan to beat you tomorrow night in the championship fight? And Mike just deadpans it, right? Looks right at the camera and says, everybody has a plan till they get punched in the face. And oh boy, if you watched Iron Mike, most of the time when he punched his opponents, it completely overwhelmed them, right? Completely. Plan out the window. I'm in survival mode. I'm trying to make it through round one. You see? Plan out the window, overwhelmed. Heads like, ah. Mike hit hard. If you watched him fight, that's what made him famous. You know who else hits really hard? You know what else delivers devastating blow after devastating blow that can disable us when we are on our knees? Reality, <laughs> life, right? You see, whether we like it or not, sometimes we can't run from our reality. Life can punch you right in the face, knock you down, and when you try to get up, they'll put a boot right in your face. Who's been there? See, whether we like it or not, as Christians, real trials and temptations, real tribulation, distress, persecution, and yes, even suffering is a normal part of the Christian life, amen? It just is. We have an appointment with it. The Bible says, hmm, so when the blows come, and they will, And if you're not in the fight right now, trust me, it's playing in a theater near you soon. It is. (laughs) How will you react? Will you be overwhelmed, plan out the window, on my knees, helpless, survival mode? Or will you be, like our text, the Apostle Paul found himself in all states of life. He'd learned to be content. He had a stability that was his portion, that he was able to face his reality, however disabilitating it was without fear. That's what I want. I want to perform like that. And if you're like me, I don't always act and react the way I should when life puts me to the bricks. And I want to help us perform in our day of trouble today. I want to help us get to the point when in the flurry of the fight that we can stand in the strength of Christ. Like Paul says, Christ is my strength. I can do all things through him. And that we'll be able to grab this magnificent resource we have in this great God so that we would be stable and that we would be able to face our tomorrows and our realities. That's what I'd like to do through the ups and the downs. But to do that, we have to work out. We have to exercise in the word of God. Did you know that? We've got to work out. We've got to work out and exercise in God's word and the doctrine of who God is, you see, so that we may hold fast to our confession, that we may say the same thing about God in the fight than without the fight, right? That's the ticket. And to do that, we must work out. So I hope you're ready for a workout today. Because if we're to get to a point where we have stability of mind, be able to face our troubles without fears, even the blows like Mike can deliver to us, we have to know a little bit about our God. And what I want to do today is I want to work out in seven reps, okay? We're doing seven reps. So you better be ready for a workout today. Seven reps. I want to go over the sevenfold perfections of God's eternal attributes, specifically biased and bent towards how do you use them when you are right in the middle of your day of trouble. That's the focus. It's not meant to be deep and complete. It's here's the seven attributes. Here's what we can do to make it personal. My God is this in my life, in my day of trouble. My God is this in my day of trouble. Amen. That's what I want to do today. So we're going to do seven reps. It's going to be experiencing the perfect character of our perfect and personal God in our day of trouble. The first rep will be that he is omnipotent. Second is that he's a good God. Third is He is a righteous God. Four, that he's an omniscient God. He knows everything. Fifth, he's a truthful God. Finally, he's a holy and loving God. That's who God is. And as we study these attributes and try to gain some strength so we can withstand the blows of life, I want to remind you that by definition, an attribute of God is eternal, which means it always was in this crazy thing we call eternity past, didn't need us to be the God of love. It always is this way. And he always will be in this thing called eternity future, amen? They're eternal. They don't change. Thank you, God, for that, amen? So first rep right here, you guys ready? Ready? Come on, get warmed up. Are you ready? Okay, all right. You guys know how it works. I don't get up here very often, so I will chime you. He's an omnipotent God. Amen. He's a God of all power. He has absolute and inexhaustible inherent power. Any power that comes from this universe comes from him, the almighty. Amen. Cover to cover, it says that. This Bible, you read your Bible from cover to cover, everywhere in between, you'll see the omnipotent, the all-powerful one, amen? It's not hard. We'll just start at the first cover, first verse of the whole Bible, right? Genesis 1-1, what does it say there? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Come on. If I had a mic, I'd just drop it right now, because that's a mic dropper. In the beginning, beginning of what? Beginning of everything, He created everything that we see and can't see on this earth and in heaven out of nothing. Come on, I was expecting a little bit more there. (laughs) Are you serious, God? Everything out of nothing. And let me tell you something. They're still discovering things that creator God made. They haven't gotten to the end of the heavens yet, have they? They keep inventing new stars. Oh, I'm so smart. I found a new galaxy. Keep looking. It's further. Keep going. Oh. But I personally like the way our Lord God describes himself as the inexhaustible source of all power at the end, other cover of the Bible. In Revelation chapter 1, verse 8, he says this, "I am the alpha and the omega. I am the beginning and the end," says the Lord. Yes? I'm the one that was and is and is to come. I am the Almighty. Evidently, God has a name, and one of them is the Almighty. Heavy on the part. It's not just a character, I'm, I'm powerful. It's like I am the very source, inherent power of all the universe. It's me. I'm the Almighty. Oh, I get fired up when I talk of, oh, I just love God's character. He's the Almighty. The question I have for you today, are you getting your grippers on any of that power? That's what I want to know. Oh, we all agree this. This is great. Amen and hallelujah. But are you getting your hands on any of God's inexhaustible power in your life when life punches you right in the face and you take a knee? Are you tasting any of it? Are you like me? Sometimes I have no problem at all agreeing with the fact that he's able to form the heavens and the earth like that. But yet I do not find him powerful enough to reform my heart in my broken pride and sin. You like that sometimes? that you see that he's more than powerful enough to move mountains, but yet he can't move me past my day of suffering, right? Oh, that he can breathe stars and set them with his fingers and create perfect rhythm and dynamics, so just perfect, the star breather and star placer, but yet he cannot find the strength in my life. I can't let him be that God to pick up the pieces of my broken relationship and set them in order. Right, and where I can find beauty from where once there was ashes. See, that's my problem. A lot of times, we're like my teenage son Ryan. his seventeen year old. Every hey, every dad in here will understand this. What do those teenage boys at some point do to their dad? That's well, do. <laughs> that's a loaded question. <laughs> they do a lot of things. Well, one thing they that he always does to me is they're always trying to challenge Papa Bear. Right. They, they want to see how strong they're getting, right? They want to see if they measure up to dad. So he's always hitting me. Hey, old man. Boom. Hey, shorty, you ready to go? You getting old? Come on, dad. And they're always wanting to touch and wrestle and grapple. I just look at him and say, do you not know? Have you not heard who I am? This is not a fair fight, boy. But sometimes I oblige him. And we grapple it out. And for now, for now, it always ends the same way. Him saying this, Dad, you're too strong. Or you cheated, <laughs> one of the two. <laughs> hey, when you get old, you learn techniques. I'm not above anything. For now, it ends the same way. I'm stronger than him. And he's, for now, he's trying to challenge me. And that's exactly what we do at times with our lives. We say, I'm the strength of my life. Lord, I got this one. I'm strong enough. How's that working for you? Have you been able to pull your bootstraps high enough where that works out for you? I'm asking you, in your heart right now, how's that working for you? You see, this is an upside down kingdom, this kingdom of God, this Christian life. If you wanna be strong, you first must become weak. Amen? That's how it works. We can't be, hey, come on, come on, Father, I got this one. Mm Mm-mm. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, the Apostle Paul helps us with this. You may remember... He had a weakness, his thorn in his flesh. He said something like this, God, Lord, take this weakness from me. God, Lord, take this weakness from me. God, Lord, take this weakness from me. Three times, right? You ever said that? Lord, take away my weakness. You don't, if you make me strong, I will do so many great things for you. If you just took away this thing that's buffeting me, just take it away from me. I could do great things for you. Take it away. Take it away. Take it away. Make me strong. Make me strong. In the Lord's answer to you and I today is the same one he gave Paul. In 2 Corinthians 12 verse nine, he says something like this. He says, no, my grace is sufficient for you. My strength will be made perfect in what? Your weakness. That's the ticket. You want to be strong. You first must become weak. Listen, if we are to experience God's omnipotent power, his absolute and inexhaustible power, we must get to the point in our state, okay, that we are weak. In our weakness, we need to say something like this. My God is always able to meet my needs. Amen. That's our first rep is that's how we apply it. We become weak and we say these words, my God is always able to meet my need in my weakness. Second rep. Everybody warmed up just a little bit? Second reps right here is he's a good God. Second attribute of God is goodness. And those of us who have walked with the Lord for any length of time, understand he is a good, good God. Amen? We've tasted and seen the goodness of his It's God. This goodness gives him an inner sense of well-being that leads to his happiness. And I don't know if you've ever looked at God that way, but you know he's a happy God. Did you know that? Timothy says in Timothy 1 verse 11, it says, according to the gospel of our blessed God. That blessed word, that's our more curious word. That's in the original language, happy. That's what it means. It doesn't mean well-spoken of, it means You have a God that is happy. Let's put it this way. He has a smile on his face, our God does. He is not the solemn God a lot of times that people make him out to be. He's got a smile on his face and that should make you smile because he's a God out of that smile (laughs) comes much benevolence. He's a happy God that shows benevolence, pity and compassion and even better yet, his mercy on us, the undeserving sinner, amen? And they're new every morning. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3 says this, that he is the father of all mercies, the God of all comfort. Amen? He's a merciful God. I like the way Matthew puts it in his gospel, 12th chapter, 20th verse. Matthew says this. He uses great imagery to get through to us that out of his goodness and his happiness flows mercy and compassion. He uses imagery, imagery like a bruised reed he will not break off, Right, In a smoldering flax, he will not extinguish. That's a merciful God who gives us great imagery. This is a God that will firmly but gently straighten out that bent reed when you get punched in the face. This is a God that will not snuff out your inadequacies when you need him the most. He'll flame the fire back to life. Amen? He's a merciful God. We could say this, mercy found me, amen? He's a merciful God. It comes from his quality of goodness, you see? And this goodness makes him very approachable. He's an approachable God. When you go to God, you know you're gonna get his mercy and his compassion and his benevolence. He's not an I told you so God. He's not a God that gives you what you deserve. He's a pitiful, benevolent, compassionate, and merciful God, amen? That's what Hebrews chapter four, verse 16 says. You don't have to come stumbling and stammering to his throne of grace, do you? It says that we can come, what? Boldly to the throne of grace to obtain mercy and find grace in his time of need. Oh, but maybe you're like me. I have a hard time appropriating compassion and pity and mercy in my life. Did you know that? I have a hard time going to the throne of grace. Maybe you're like me. My sin and my pride have made me a timid and self-conscious creature. You see, I've been flying my rebel flag long enough against the king. He's finally defeated me in my rebellion and brought me into his courts, but I don't come willingly to the throne of grace. I somehow feel that he doesn't even want to look at me out of his peripheral vision. I've had my flag up, God. I've been trying to overthrow you for for years now with this sin. Somehow we feel like he doesn't even want to look at us out of his peripheral vision, you see. But if the rebel comes, lays down his flag, and comes willing to the throne of grace, if we do that counting only on his mercy, we will surely taste it. Amen? We will. You see, I've seen this in my life, and I've seen it in the lives of many others. When you need God's mercy and compassion the most, we look for it the least. What you need is God's mercy. What you need is his compassion. I know you're broken. I know you're about ready to be snuffed out, but you got to come. you got to come boldly to the throne of grace. So when you're feeling shameful, when you're feeling like you're not worthy, to be in the king's court, you need to remember this. He's a merciful, benevolent God, and as all we need to do is come boldly, we will get our mercy, amen? We'll find it in our time of need. We gotta get to the point in our life where if we wanna appropriate God's mercy, his goodness in our lives, we wanna taste and see that the Lord has been good, we've gotta say words like this. Even in those shameful moments, my God, even the timidity and the self-consciousness of the sin that I brought on my own self. My God is always approachable to me even when I put myself on the canvas, amen? He's always approachable. That's a beautiful thing about God. You can always approach him. That's a huge compliment. That's a huge thing to grab when you're feeling knocked down, when you're feeling shameful and self-conscious, amen? All right, three, He's a righteous God. I did a whole talk on this a while back. I don't know if it's available on our website, but listen, God's a righteous God. Psalm 145, verse 17 says this God's righteous in all his ways, gracious in all his works. Amen. And what that means at its very base is that do you know that God's always right? He's right. In every situation, all the time, ever always has been, always will be, and is today always right. I'm glad there is one that's always right because it's not me, right? We have a righteous God. The question I have for you today is, is he righteous in your life? Are you letting him be right even when you see things in your life that don't seem right, right? (laughs) No pun intended. When we're filling out forms, and you check boxes like irreconcilable differences, it's over. When we look at diagnoses and MRIs and just say, this is not right, even when we see the tragedies of people losing their lives before it's right, are we still okay saying, God, you are righteous in all your ways? You are right to allow this in my life. You see, one thing I've noticed about life, and maybe you've noticed the same thing, is you can't run from reality. Sometimes it hits you really hard, and you try to run, you try to dodge, but you can't run from it. There's times when we just have to get to the end of ourselves and say, he's right to allow this into my life. It doesn't make sense, but he... He's still righteous, even in this. To do that, we must yield. We really must yield. We must realize that God a lot of times isn't interested in changing situations as much as he's interested in changing our character in our heart. He's a heart reformer. Now, I'm not downplaying the fact that he can change reality. This is a God that's... He he does miracles, but most of the time, in my experience, he's more into changing us than the situation, amen, and he's always right to to appreciate that we really must yield. We must do as our Lord did in the Garden of Gethsemane, there with the cross looming in his tomorrow, right, hours before he faced his cross. There in that garden where it said that he was exceedingly sorrowful, even unto death, it says, sweating as drops of blood. He asked the Lord, what, to let this cup pass. It was a battle of wills, if you will, right? Three times, if there's any other way, Lord, would you let it pass? You see, he knew what was going to happen when he gave himself over to man separation of body and all that that meant and also separation from the father and all that that meant. It's huge as he hung there, the weight of the world on his shoulders. But in the end, he said some sweet, sweet words, words that we need to say if we are to appropriate God's right ways, even when we don't like it. Not mine, but thine will be done. Those are great words of sweet surrender, you see, we also it might also help you to realize that righteousness can't be parted out like an old car, like an old unreliable car, like a VW. <laughs> I got Matt's mic. I thought, I wonder if he'll listen to it. It's not to be parted out. Do you understand what I mean by that? Righteousness is a package deal. You can't pick and choose the part of righteousness that you like and leave the others. The reality of it is the same righteousness that you have a hard time reconciling in your life when you're looking at stuff that doesn't seem right, right? Some of that stuff, that's this very same righteousness that afforded you your salvation. Did you know that? It's the same exact characteristic and attribute of God. Romans chapter 1, verse 8, 17 says this. In verse 16, Paul says this. In 16, he says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it's how we're saved, basically, what he says. And then in verse 17, he says, for in it, in the gospel unto salvation, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. Is that amazing to you? What, what, what that's saying is this. <laughs> the redemptive price that Jesus Christ paid for you on the cross satisfied the righteous requirements of God on your behalf. We're saying that he was quote unquote right to justify you and I based on Jesus Christ's sacrifice. So if you don't like righteousness in your day of trouble, then you have to at least admit that you don't like that. And we all like that. God was right. We're little icons of God's righteousness. Did you know that? We've been made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And what we're saying when we're saved is, yeah, that's, he, was, he was right with that. So you can't pick and choose. It's not an a la carte Christianity here. You gotta take it and that will help you. And look, I I know it's difficult to say God is right even in this devastating disaster. Trust me, I've experienced some things in my life and I know that's not easy to let God's righteousness reign in our lives in the middle of it all when things don't seem right. But I do know this, as sooner or later, you're going to get to the end of yourself, and you're going to realize you can't run from reality, and he's bigger than you, and at a certain point, we say, my God is right to allow this into my life. One thing that really helps me with that is our next attribute is knowing I don't know everything. That's one thing that helps me yield and be able to say my God is right even in my day of trouble to allow this. You see, because I don't have all the facts. I don't know the end yet. You see, and that brings up rep number four. He's an omniscient God, and that will help you reconcile his righteousness in your life. He knows everything. Did you know that? We don't. Isaiah chapter 46 verse 10 says something like this. The end of verse nine says, I am God and there is none like me. (laughs) I appreciate that. Verse 10, he declares the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things that are not yet done. Our God knows everything, amen? He has all the facts. He has the ultimate vantage point. What he knows and how he knows is nothing short of amazing. Did you know that? In one simple act, one sweep, he knows the beginning from the end, and he knows everything in between. You see, there's no succession to God. He knows the succession of the events, the beginning to end, both instantaneously and simultaneously. That's how God knows. There's no sequence. There's no to what God knows. There, 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 there's no learning. There's no overlooking. there's no forgetting right? This is a God that knows everything. The beginning from the end and the sequence in the middle, it's all the same to him. God just knows. You see, if you can reconcile that in your life, it helps because we don't always know. What a vantage point. I don't know what theologian wrote this, but when I was studying this, I had this stuffed in my notes and I'll read it for you. I didn't say this. This is an amazing little quote. God knows instantly and effortlessly all matter of all matters, all mind and every mind, all spirit and all spirits, all being and all be- and every being, all creaturehood and all creatures, every plurality and all pluralities, all law and every law, all relations, all causes, all thoughts, all mysteries, all enigmas, all feelings, all desires, every unuttered secret, all thrones and dominions, all personality, all principalities, all things visible and invisible in heaven and in earth. He knows motion, space, time, life, death, good, evil, heaven and hell, amen? (laughs) Because God knows all things perfectly. He knows no thing better than the other thing, but all things equally well. He never discovers anything. He is never surprised, and he is never amazed. That's perfect knowledge. We don't have that kind of vantage point, do we? We only know in part right now right? It's still cloudy for us. When we think we know everything, it makes it very difficult to God to be God in our lives. I was reminded of this recently when I had a rude patient. I know a lot of you guys don't. Yeah, none of you guys that see me are rude, but it happens. You see enough people and you run into a few jerks. Well, I was coming down to go into a room, and I saw one of my assistants, one of my technicians, who their job is to work up patients before I see them. And, and she was crying. I said, ah, what's wrong? She said, "The guy in room eight's a jerk. So, said, what do you mean he's a jerk? <laughs> and no offense, women, but I work with a lot of women. So I'm used to tears, and I just, wow, f- kind of got this righteous indignation in me. That's the one thing that fires me up when people have, have power over other people, like when they treat waitresses poorly or they treat my staff poorly. Hey, this lady's 20-something. She's trying to help you. So I come barreling into room 8 I'm like, listen, there's a girl out there crying. If you can't act like a human being, you can go see someone else. Let me write you the name of an eye doctor. Dr. Doug Merritt. No, just kidding. (laughs) I didn't do that. I just send good people to Doug. And as I said those words, I had my dukes up. I'm ready for him to fire back at me. (laughs) And he didn't fire back at me. Instead, he started sobbing. and started weeping. I said, "Oh," I said, whoa. Turns out, He had just lost his wife the month before of 50 years of cancer. And what are the chances of him being diagnosed with stage 4 cancer a month later? What are the chances of that? No chances. This guy was broken. This guy wasn't on his knees from life's blows. This guy was, there was a referee standing over him going, one, two. He was about knocked out. Did it change or maybe justify the way he treated my staff? I don't, to me, it did. To me, it did. I wouldn't have acted the way I would have acted if I'd have known that. You see, we only see in part. We don't see the whole picture. We don't see the beginning from the end and the sequence in the middle. We're not waiting for events to happen to learn something about somebody. God knows perfectly well. And let me tell you something. If you want to grab God's omniscience in your life, in your day of trouble... This happens to us all the time. Somehow we get to the point in our pitiful little lives where we think that God doesn't understand what's going on. In our little problems, in this little blue planet, in this little town, Grant's Pass, that somehow we need to teach him something about what we're going through. Anybody been there? Or that he's not aware that our kids can drive us nuts. That somehow he's not aware of the inadequacies of my fatherhood. That somehow he doesn't understand about my financial situation. That somehow he doesn't get the fact that I'm having a hard time in my marriage right now. You see, he gets us because he sees perfectly. We got to get to the point, even in those times we don't think he's aware of our circumstances, we can say, my God is always aware of my circumstances, that's how you appropriate God's all-knowing omniscience in your life. He's all we aware of what's going on. That's comforting to me. We need to rest in that. Amen. The next rep here is that He is truth. He's the truth. I love the way Jesus Christ, our Lord God, said it Himself there in John chapter fourteen, verse six. He says, "I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father except through me." Right. We're gonna parse out the truth statement there. And in those very moments, he said, I am truth personified. That's what he's saying. And when he said that, he's saying much more than he had never lied. Do you know that? God's saying that there is nothing concealed or hidden from me. What he's really saying is, I see everything in perfect reality. You, me, and himself in perfect reality. Let's put it this way. God sees things how they really are. What a perspective he has, amen? He always answers perfectly his estimate of what he is. He lives up to that estimate. He never fails or disappoints our expectation. He is perfectly dependable. That's what that word, the truth, means. He lives up to what he says he is, and he's always dependable and reliable. I will buy a coffee for anybody who can tell me the athlete whose nickname is the truth to prove this point. Anybody know it? Shout it out. No, good try, though. He's not that good. No. <laughs> There's an at- no Boston Celtic fans in here, obviously. We're too far west. Paul Pierce. His nickname was given by Shaquille O'Neal, the truth. Do you know that? It's stuck. They call them the truth. After a championship battle between the Lakers and the Celtics, Shaquille O'Neal, burnt out and tired. He ended up winning the game, but that's their star. He says, Shaq, how'd the game go? He just pointed at Paul Pierce and said, I don't know, but that guy right there, he's the truth. What did he mean by that? It's exactly our definition of Jesus Christ being the personification of truth. It's that Paul Pierce lived up to his estimate of himself. In that game, he totally went off, point-wise. He was just amazing. He lived up to all the hype. This was his estimate, and guess what? He lived up to it. He was truthful, and that's the idea of being the truth, you see? Perfectly reliable and dependable and faithful, you see, God's faithfulness flows out of his truth. It flows and expresses itself to us, us weary sinners. We need faithfulness. God does not fail a single promise he's ever made to his children. Do you know that? Great is your faithfulness, O oh God. He's the promise keeper. He's saying there in John chapter 14, I am, I was I am and I will always be perfectly reliable to you, my child. You can count on me. I'm dependable. I'm reliable. I'm tested. I'm the truth. That's what he's saying. Bank on me. I'm the faithful promise keeper. You just be the promise taker, he would say, because I'm the truth. So when you hit tough times and life smacks you in the face, this is what, we can, ha- what can happen sometime in some circumstances is we've been burned. We don't think we can trust anybody. You ever feel that callous? You've been burned enough where you say, I don't trust anybody. I've been let down so often. I've been failed and rejected and abandoned so many times that I don't have a friend that I can trust. I don't have anybody who's the truth, who is always completely and perfectly reliable in my time of need You ever said that? I'm not trusting anybody. Mm -mm. I'm snake bit. We need to get to the point when we have been failed. People will let you down. You know that? People will let you down, and they'll let you down, and they'll let you down again. Stop putting so much pressure on them. This is a free one. Stop putting so much pressure on them not to let you down. You rely on the truth. You have a friend in Jesus, amen? Amen. This God right here is perfectly, perfectly dependable. He's the truth. So when we get to the point where we feel like we cannot trust, we cannot rely on anybody, we need to let it go. Scrab that callus off of you and say, Lord, you, my God, let's make it personal. My God is always dependable to me. And I will give myself up to him and let him be the truth in my life. Amen?" Amen? Hey, we're almost done. You guys sweating yet? We're on number six, which should be loosened up. We're on a home stretch here. Two more. Six is he's a holy God. And I'm not gonna spend much time here because Pastor Matt did a wonderful job last week when he talked about God's holy wrath at the flood. How sometimes we don't like this part of God, but it does round out his sevenfold perfection. It's his holiness. I'll just say this, that really it has the idea of being uniquely, perfectly and completely pure in and of himself. You see, he's separated in this purity, in this holiness. When we say things like, Lord, there is truly none like you. That's the idea. That's his holiness. That's what we're, we're, we're conjuring to, you see. That's the idea. And we know, according to last week, that God's wrath comes out of this holiness. He has a holy wrath. We don't like that part sometimes. But the reality of it is, I'm sure if you listen to Matt's sermon, if you weren't here last week, we'll find out that you know that God abhors anything unlike himself and that he demands this type of purity, this type of perfection and holiness. Do you know that he demands that? You may not like the way that sounds at the start, but it's true. That's why Jesus Christ had to be the satisfaction, the propitiation for us. Do you know that? That's why we can't ever gain it. We can never appease his holiness in his wrath, you see, Jesus Christ on that cross, his crosswork became the satisfaction for God's holy wrath. So that when he looks at it, he wasn't fudging it when he let you into his kingdom, <laughs> when you accepted that free gift. The gospel. He wasn't saying, Well, I'll let this guy in. It was like, no, he's looking at his son and going, You know what? Yeah, that's good enough. That's perfect. I see, I, I see the crosswork of Jesus Christ. Yep, that satisfies my holy wrath. Amen? We don't like the way that sounds, but Romans chapter 1, verse 18 says it this way. He abhors things that aren't that perfect and that pure. He says, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness to men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. That's a holy God. You may not like that. But this God demands holy Purity. And the only way we get that is through his son, Jesus Christ, in that precious blood on the cross. Amen? You know, sometimes this can help us in our life situation because um, that holy wrath, God's going to set everything right someday. Did you know that? We see a lot of unjust things, and sometimes we even experience unjust things. You look at the news, you look at the world news, and man, you got people cutting other people's heads off with rusty steak knives because of the way they believe in their hearts. That's not right. That's ungodly. That's unrighteous. When Boko Haram takes young girls as sex slaves, takes whole groups of girls and sells them into the sex, that's gross. That's unrighteous. That's ungodly. When a man takes a prepubescent girl and rapes her, that's unjust. That's ungodly. That's unrighteousness. And you know what I've noticed in this world, the way our system works is sometimes it's not set right. Sometimes I look at that and go, man, if I was that girl's father, I'd be in the revenge game. You see, we don't have to do that because God's gonna set it right someday. Someday he's gonna make it all right. Now that's not right now but we can rest in the time when we experience injustice. When we see injustice in other people's lives, we can say, you know what? My God's gonna repay those people someday. And that may sound harsh to you and selfish to you right now. That's spoken from a person who's never had their daughter raped. If that's happened in your life, you can say that without a shadow of a doubt. My God will repay that person someday. That's an ungodly, unrighteous act. And he will make that right and they will answer to that. Amen? Amen. It's not now. But someday, our Lord God Jesus Christ is coming back. Amen? Amen? You want to read Roman uh Revelation chapter 19? He comes back differently this time. Heavens will open and we'll look up. Well, we won't, because we'll be with him. <laughs> he's gonna come down and he's making holy wrath. He's gonna set things right. And in that moment every person who has breath in their lungs will hit their knee and they'll look up with their mouth and say, he is the king of kings and Lord of Lord once and for all, amen? That's what's gonna happen. He's gonna make it right. And so if you feel that things aren't fair and you're experiencing tragedy and unjust, our God's gonna make it right someday. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. You don't need to be in the revenge game, right? Like Indigo in the in The Princess Bride, looking for the man with an extra finger. You don't have to waste your life doing that. He will make it right. We can rest in that. Amen. The last one here. It tempers his holiness. Guy, these sevenfold perfection. It rounds out to just be, we have an amazing God, do we not? Amen. Come on. We're at the home stretch. We have one more rep. You got to want it, right? Come on. God is love. It's our last one to listen to me. Um, God's, All of God's attributes are perfectly equal and perfect. There's not one greater than the other, but there are some that have a greater effect in the objects that they're expressed towards, like us humans, and love is the one that gets us all. It has its greatest response from us humans, love, right? All we need is love. We know in 1 John 4, 8, it says God is love. When we look at John 3.16, we start to develop a definition of love. It says that God so loved the world, what did he do? He gave, he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. A quality of life today and a quality of life forever. Amen. The other John 3.16, 1 John 3.16 says this. This is how we love, this is how we know God loves us. How do we know that? Because he laid down his life for us, you see. Agape, divine love, is the desire for and the delight in the well-being of the object that's being loved, even to the point of self-sacrifice as we've seen with God's love for us. Amen? That's what our Lord did. Did you know that? He came running for us. He came down to this dry and barren place and gave it all so that we may live with him forever. Us, the undeserving sinner, His kindness and his grace flows from this love, and that's how we're saved. Everybody needs love, and we could spend every Sunday, all day, every day, learning about God's love and defining God's love. Reminds me of a hymn, one of my favorites. It's called The Love of God. It says, The love of God is greater far than any tongue or pen could ever tell it goes beyond the highest star and reaches to the lowest hell. Could we with ink fill the ocean and were the skies of parchment made, were every stock on earth a quill and every man a scribe by trade to write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry, nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched sky to sky. That's God's love. It's feeble to talk about it. We experience God's love one thing I want to apply God's love in our lives, it's going to be a bias towards this. Listen to me. Sometimes when life punches us, we find ourselves overwhelmed. We find ourselves on the ground, someone above us. And sometimes in those circumstances, however we got there, we feel dirty. We feel used up. Anybody here ever feel like a piece of trash sometimes? Sometimes. Like a second class citizen, it ought not to be that way, but sometimes life beats you up and you get used whether from your own doing or other people's manipulative actions is you feel like a piece of trash. you feel like this world's used you and spit you out you feel all used up. anybody feel that way sometimes? it happens but the choices we make or actions upon us we have no choice in we feel like that and We feel hopeless and helpless. We don't feel very special. And this is how I want to apply God's love in our day of trouble. Listen to me right now. You are, I am, if you're a Christian today, you're the object of God's love. Come on. You're the apple of his eye. My God sees me as the apple of his eye above all else. Would that please help your your self-esteem today? That's Christ's esteem. You should never feel like a piece of trash because of what's happened in your life. You should never feel like a second-class citizen. You are the child of the one and true and living God, and he sees you as the apple of his eye. Amen? Amen. Amen. Sevenfold perfection, God's attributes. I hope that this week we would grab one of those in our time of trouble and use what we need because there is a magnanimous resource just waiting for us, amen? And as we remember, as we remember the table, as we come up and take communion, when it's passed out to you, I want you to remember the expressed image of this God, Jesus Christ, when he came down here, right? Toiled among us, suffered by our side and our stead, Amen? So Father, we're so grateful for who you are. What you've done for us. Your eternal sevenfold perfection. I pray that we'd appropriate these things in our lives this very day. Thank you in Jesus name amen.